again for this. Kofefe. Despite the negative press, Kofefe. <laughs> the greatest tweet to ever have been sent. I return to that tweet time and time again because it's so funny to me. Elon Musk is on trial right now. What? Yeah. For Twitter? He uh, came back to California, I think, from Texas where he ran away to, I think. And he's. I think it's due to his uh, 2018 mishandling of some Tesla stuff. I don't think it's actually Twitter stuff. But it's so funny how he's like, you know, two years ago he was like... <laughs> insanely wealthy and powerful and loved and just through the single active narcissistic pride bought twitter destroyed the platform i mean <laughs> virtually uh no pun intended and physically <laughs> yeah and then like he's destroyed his public image it's crazy man but how easy is it to just not you know yeah. to just enjoy your, your and that's how you live your life except i'm not a billion like the i, I saw this there's these cool things that pop up on Reddit sometime where it's like the scaling wealth of individuals or something in like a video, like a graphic. Yeah. I didn't realize exactly how wealthy Elon was or his net worth. Yeah. It was soaring past Jeff Bezos at one point. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe maybe we'll get a comeback story, you know? I'm sure Elon would love that. What are some great He's well connected comeback <laughs> stories? <laughs> I think Kim like Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. <laughs> no. Because in the video, Brendan Fraser, but that's an actual comeback story. Yeah. There's a funny Parks and Brendan Fraser has been everywhere. Like, I keep seeing new videos of him winning another award, and he, like, just, he's always, like, baffled and doesn't know what to say. Yeah. There's something to be said about the power of a viral marketing campaign. Yeah. And the whale is, like, everywhere. But I really, really love that movie. Yeah. And he's such a likable guy. Yeah, and I, I just want him to win. Like, you know, it's it's like the perfect storm of, of comeback. <laughs> we haven't really talked about, uh, besides that little bit of Golden Globes coverage we did, uh, awards season, because we don't really do that anymore because of uh, the Nomadland incident. It wasn't just Nomadland. It was last year. Oh, yeah. When fucking rice Aroni won or whatever that fucking movie was. rice Aroni. I can't even remember. It was the one with the girl and she's like a singer. Oh, uh, the Def Coda. Coda. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Awful. Um, I cannot believe it won. But I'm so sorry. There ha speaking just for a moment about awards, momentum, because mm. that's how we started this podcast. Mom momentum. Uh, the Whale, Brendan Fraser has been picking up a lot of steam. So I he, think it's very likely. And, and okay, I'm saying we'll never... Or what I meant when I said we'll never be like going through the whole Academy Awards push like we did in years previous. We're not going to be like Grinding. breaking our backs trying to record and watch everything and record every episode for the Academy Awards. We still might do an Academy Awards episode. Yeah, that could be fun to just mess with it. But you know, it's it's still interesting as film lovers. You know, a lover yeah. lovers of film. But I'm not going to make a big push out of it for the podcast like I was in the years previous. So, with that being said, I'm just waiting to see I, if I think it's very likely that Brendan Fraser could win Best Actor this year at at the Academy Awards because of the, like the momentum and yeah how much love he's getting all that stuff. I didn't expect. I mean, I liked Austin Butler and Elvis, but I didn't expect him to be like the powerhouse. Uh, Austin choice, Butler, you know. I mean, his performance was great. Dude, I, it's his, all I could think about when I left that movie. Have you seen people how they're talking about how he's like adopted that uh, way of speaking? Then like his voice has changed pre Elvis, post Elvis. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I want to well, see him in Dune roll in with that drawl. Yeah, hello, oh, Paul. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Fade. Yeah, he's the coolest guy. I think it'd be hard to kick. I mean, he embodied that character. Yeah, he's gonna have to do it again to, for a different character and break out of it, but. 
Anyway, what are we talking about today? Another movie I actually love. It's yeah. on my top 10. Another big release right at of, the end of, of 2022. Yeah. Yeah, we're finishing up 2022. It was Babylon. ba 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 The new Damien Chazelle. That's how you say his name, right? Yeah, I think so. His feature following, I think it was 2019, he did First Man. First Man. But people will probably know him best from La La Land. La La Land. Which was a sensation two and years prior. Whiplash. And Whiplash, which I actually haven't seen. I feel bad about that. The amount of times I'm shaking my head at <laughs> you. It's okay, because there's a lot I haven't seen, you know. Yeah, but Whiplash is uh, is one of those movies I feel like the people are always like, that was crazy. Especially, I think it was his first feature, right? Yeah, Whiplash was, is great. It's great, and La La Land is great. Like, I, I love both of those movies. I would watch La La Land more than I would watch Whiplash. And First Man, I absolutely adored. But probably his worst out of these four films. But there's there's something about First Man that was really special. And it's kind of similar here with Babylon. There's something about Babylon that is very special. Um, it's also more watchable, I think, than First Man was. Yeah. I think that that speaks to Damien. Oh know? yeah, I mean there's that something guy, special, and he's young. That guy's on something. Yeah. He's on to something, and he's on something. You know? Yeah. All I know about the history with Babylon and him creating the idea is that he had been shuffling around in his head this concept loosely, you know, piecemeal for I think right. like over a decade, and he had never really felt like he had the um, uh-huh. ability to tackle it as a screenplay until this point in time he had been adding to it slowly and slowly and then finally he he was able to produce this version of the script and get it made so it's pretty cool when a when an idea germinates like that sure. for so long sure. in a director because he he's like he's the only person that could have made this movie that's the other thing is this is this special for what it is but he's the only person that could have made it because of his familiarity with early film and early filmmaking, silent film, and the transition to talkies. Well, I, I think a couple of the people might have, they could have tried, but I don't right. think anyone would have brought exactly. this level of... No, it's his, it's his love that bleeds through yeah, yeah, yeah. the film. And then also, we'll just go full spoilers at this point, but when he, the very end, when the montage hits, and you see this montage that pays homage to old film early film and mm-hmm. it, it goes it goes through everything yeah. you know and it, it does it in this beautiful manner that really encapsulates the history of filmmaking and everything that embodies it and it, it kind of flashes before the character's eyes in a way that your life would before you die yeah and it's done super beautifully and elegantly elegantly yeah elegantly but also sometimes bombastically <laughs> yeah yeah, like you see shots of the Matrix and Avatar, and that was crazy. Well, it, it, it's going it's going through the broad sweeping like like momentous points of film and film history, and it's, you're, it's it's showing you that like you're participating in something much larger than one person, even the the minor film that you're making. And it it there's a lot of themes in this. One of them is like how your image and your person will last on and live infamously. Uh, for as long as people will watch you from that specific time that you were imprinted onto the film. Yeah. So it's an amazing concept and super awesome because, you know, even for these actors, these old silent film actors that got cast aside and even some early film actors that, you know, once the talkies came around that nobody remembers when people go back and discover those things or, or go in to watch those things, they're remembered because they're, 
they're right there in front of you. And that's an amazing gift Mm -hmm. that not everybody has, you know, to to be a movie star and, and be able to be discovered and watched as if you're alive right in front of them. It's an amazing gift. And that's, that's what Damien Chazelle is trying to do with this film is, is capture this era of filmmaking and his love for film and early film and convey that feeling for the audience. And it's done in such a beautiful way. Bombastic, you said too, but yeah. Yeah. And only he could have done it. I think (laughs) he succeeded in in my opinion. Yeah. I know it's not overwhelmingly like a universal acclaim. Right. But, um, for the people that did like Babylon, it was pretty special. I thought it was very special special enough for me to I, I i was falling in love with every moment you know that was passing on the screen yeah it was a total win because damien chazelle is a filmmaker not only does he have all this knowledge about this era of hollywood history but the way that he goes about a scene the way that he directs his talent the actors and edits a scene together to make it comedic you know you see a character going through like a tumultuous physical like hardship like trying to push an elephant up a hill and then he focuses in on the elephant's anus as it shits all over this person and it's it's both comedic but also conveys the message that you know these were hard times at the same time and that's that's just brilliant filmmaking you know to do that another one of my favorite moments is when (laughs) They're in the bathroom talking. Do you think we'll need, like, do you think people will want to have sound in movies? <laughs> and then right at that moment, you hear someone, like, poop very loudly. Yeah. Like, in the stall next to them. And it was, it's like a very disgusting, you know, pooping sound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just some triangle of sadness energy. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then they, they just... The characters look at each other and just keep talking, but it's it's that kind of comedy that plays throughout, you know, yeah, the film and and his way of approaching a scene, uh, the way that he directs a scene and strings the scenes together to make a film was so much better than some other filmmakers that have put movies out this year that have also yeah I know been highly I acclaimed. know who you're referring to. I'm really glad you mentioned the editing though, and I'll shout out Tom Cross, who is one of Damien's great. Longtime collaborators. So, such these movies are so fantastically. In fact, I remember when First Man came out. I was I was saying that should have won for best editing. Yeah, damn, I got to see it then. But it, like you were saying, some of the scenes. Well, there. First of all, the whole film carries this energy like the entire way through. There, the pacing. The first like fifty minutes is like a a huge party scene. Yeah, and it's so <laughs> fucking rad. And it's a three hour film, but I I never was bored in in the theater, but. My, the first thing that comes to mind, particularly for me, is the one where they're on the soundstage, like right as yeah. sound is hitting big. Right. And they have to run through Margot's scene mm-hmm. like seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. guy shooting the camera in the booth ends up just dying, <laughs> dying. from heat exhaustion. But the, the the cuts in that scene were so amazing. And it plays up the comedy and the drama. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. And also, I mean, for anyone that has ever worked on a film set, all the stuff that's going on actually happens, especially in high stress film sets Yeah, where like you have the first AD trying to bring everybody together and he's yelling at everybody. Like if anybody wakes one more sound or walks to that door again or get the, get the fuck back in that box. Like it's really like that, especially when you're trying to get a shot and nothing is going right. And um, then the actor 
you know, is also putting in their two cents and they're unhappy and they're, they're yelling at the sound guy <laughs> or the camera guy or the first AD and the first AD is just trying to make the talent happy. And it's, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I was dying during that scene because it's actually like that still because of the introduction of sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just light and picture anymore. It's, it's sound as well. So you gotta be as quiet as you can. And you have people standing bodyguard at, at the door to, to keep people away with a walkie talkie. Cause when they're rolling, they can't enter the room cause the sound, you know, it's the, it's all a thing. Yeah. Okay, so this is something I meant to do back on episode 200 to kind of kick off a new era of the cult podcast, but we're going to introduce songs that we're listening to and give you a little sample because it's an element that I've always, there's not enough music in our podcast and I, music's a huge part of my life. So songs that are just interesting to us at the time, and they're not going to always technically be modern but but just whatever we're grooving to in that time so here's the first one <laughs> this is a a song recommendation also just for anyone that yeah. uh but it comes from an artist whose name is steve lacy and the song's called bad habit and it's just super catchy so here it is lot of reading at all about the accuracy of babylon no but time I, time you know accuracy yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's a fictional story we should yeah. say that um we haven't even talked about really what it's about but it is a fictional story and I, but i haven't i was i was curious about the accuracy of like the time and like were parties actually like this i did read one article i think i might have sent it to you i'm not sure the openness of like gay trans people at that time. Oh yeah, that was really interesting. Did you read that? I think so. I did actually more reading than I typically would for Babylon. Yeah, because <laughs> because there were some like openly gay characters. Yeah, and I think anyone watching the film would be like, I thought like gay people were kind of oppressed. Yeah, at a certain point in time, they like became uh-huh. closeted, so to speak. Yeah. And the article that I read was saying that at that time it was okay to be gay and it was acceptable and many people were openly gay and it was totally fine, yeah. but it was spearheaded by something that happened in the 1930s. So there was a self-censorship under the production code yes. written by a Catholic priest. The moral code reflected the dominant mores of the moral <laughs> majority yeah. who persecuted homosexuality with increasing vigor. Mm-hmm. And banned both sexual perversion, like quote unquote queer behavior, and miscegenation, which means romantic relationships between people of different races. Yeah. Quote unquote. For decades. So it, it 
that's what that's what it was. It was like this Catholic priest wrote this this moral code, but that <laughs> that influenced society, uh, society's sense of of high morality, and Hollywood up until I mean, it's the thing where they're still battling today. Yeah. I, you know, hundred years in the making, which is really sad that there are a lot of people that were like openly out at that time. And, yeah, and now you know we're 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 getting into that time again. Seeing that in the twenties was pretty crazy though, because no one thinks about like right. how this would be like more more of a modern thing. Yeah, or maybe it was just that time and place. Yeah, and obviously, I don't think things were perhaps quite as crazy as Damien uh, made them. Like maybe they were. There's well, there seemed to be like a modern kind of sensationalistic, right, twist on things. Like yeah, rooms full of cocaine, which I'm sure there were there were tons of drugs. But mm-hmm. I think I read another article that a, a guy was going over it and he said it probably wasn't that quite so debaucherous but yeah do you want to talk about the movie like what happens in the movie yeah really cool? i was just going to say one other thing is that and this will segue into the the story is that damien did um base these characters on amalgamations of of people from that time right most notably nelly Leroy was based on clara bow <clears throat> who actually didn't die uh so soon as nelly did anyway yeah this film follows margot robbie as nelly Leroy. And, uh, and a cast of characters, including Brad Pitt, uh, who is a uh, film star in his twilight days because he, he plays can't. He plays Jack Conrad. Yeah, Jack Conrad, uh, who doesn't make the transition to sound as well. And Diego Calva, I think is his name, mm-hmm. plays like our, our main character. Mm-hmm. He is Manny. Yeah. Manny Torres. Yeah. So those are our three main characters, and we're following them through... A time period uh, of about probably half a decade from the late 20s into the early 30s in Hollywood, as we said, as uh, the silent film era turns to sound, uh, sound talkies and stuff. Yep. And there's also like a, a love thing between Manny and Nellie. But there's some other like... It's a one-way affection. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, true. She's She's got a lot of personal hangups. And she's kind of, of baggage. Is, she yeah a lot of baggage. She's kind of like going through her own thing. Yeah, I'm trying not to say baggage is kind of a derogatory term, but no really. Yeah, she she's going through her own struggles. She has history, and Manny is just trying to like keep her alive. I'm yeah. not I'm not kidding when I say that. Um, but there's a lot of other good actors actually in this film that are um, tons of cameos. So many cameos like Olivia Wilde. There's some SNL people in this. Yeah, Gene Smart. Play, yeah. plays Eleanor St. John. She's like a tabloid writer, a newspaper article writer. Well, she's also like, she did screenplays, I think. Did she? Or it seemed I like... I thought she was just oh, doing no, like, like Hollywood news at that time. Yeah, I think of. you're right, actually, yeah. And then... Joven Adepo. Joven Adepo. Is it Joven? I don't know. <laughs> Joven. <laughs> Who's kind of like the fourth main character. He is like yeah. the other main character. He plays essentially like a, like a Louis Armstrong kind of character mm-hmm. um, who you know, is picked out for being black and people love him uh, because he's great at playing the trumpet. And that's exactly what Lee Armstrong did. <laughs> he's saying to play the trumpet that you put him in films. White people loved him, but yeah. he, uh, he plays Sidney Palmer, that kind of jazz artist who becomes like the star of his own movies. And he's exploited because of his color. He's the only one who gets away from of skin, the toxicity and yeah. destruction of the business. Yeah. And um, he's from Watchmen. He was, he played, uh, in a flashback episode of the Watchmen series that Damon Lindelof did back in 2019, he's 
featured there. And he's been, he's been like a rising kind of star. I think we're going to see a lot more of him in the future. So remember that name. Yeah. He'd be a good black Panther replacement. You know, mm-hmm. they, they cut to Chadwick's son as an adult. Oh yeah. That'd be dope. Just put Joe and in there. I feel like he's got the, the care, the charisma for it. Like, yeah. Like the, the kind of demeanor that Chadwick had, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, so many good actors in this. There's just, it's like by the dozens. It was truly like an ensemble kind of cast, especially with like a lot of uh, lesser known actors that you've seen before. Like you would, you would recognize their faces. One other important secondary character I just wanted to mention real quick was um, Lee Jun Lee, who played Lady Faye. Right. Who was kind of a, yeah. Also a bit of a love interest for yep. uh, uh, Nellie Leroy. Yeah. She was really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's great. But as Gabe kind of alluded to earlier, Brad Pitt's character, Jack Conrad, is supposed to be sort of based on John Gilbert, who is now largely forgotten and had a hard time transitioning from from silent film to the talkies. But he had like a lot of romances with a lot of other like women at the time. He went through a lot of relationships like it, it mirrored and mimicked a lot of what Brad Pitt's character was doing in this movie. And Margot's character, like Gabe said, was based on Clara Bow. Fascinating character, her. But she, like I said, she didn't die <laughs> so soon. She, but she did have like a like a, a horrific childhood. Yeah, and that's kind of what Margot Robbie kind of drew from as inspiration for for playing this character. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of alluded to in the flashback scene where her mom was in the mental institution. Yeah, and her dad was exploiting her. Or not, not flashback scene, but the the one scene with the flash. Yeah, the flash sideways. Yeah, and her dad exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, Bo's Clara Bo's mother was a paranoid schizophrenic who once tried to kill her. Yeah. And her her father was an alcoholic and may have been sexually abusive. So parents, huh? That is where Margot's character is coming from. Yeah. Which is never explicitly stated in the film, mm-hmm. but you can kind of see it yeah uh written on her but yeah a lot of nelly Leroy is ripped kind of right out of clara Bow's life and being the it girl and a sex symbol and a scandalous dresser yeah and and again i i never knew about these people and i think like damien chazelle's working knowledge of yeah. of this history of that era he adores that yeah. era he did an ama on reddit and he kept talking like everyone was always asking about his favorite films and he kept referencing 20s 30s films like Chaplin City Lights and yeah. like it was just over Buster and over. Keaton and stuff and yeah yeah like that's he he adores it yeah and, and I mean he probably knows so much more like even more actors from that era. I couldn't I can tell you one <laughs> I'm not I don't have a working knowledge of that era no one does yeah it's such a it's 100 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's literally the inception of the industry but yeah I uh I adored this movie I got to see it a second time and that's where it really took shape for me in terms of how mm-hmm. much I loved it mm-hmm. uh, there's something special too about the third act which is I think sometimes um, it might have turned some people off because there's for one there's kind of an interesting tonal shift where it takes on this kind of horror uh arc oh yeah with Toby Maguire I forgot oh Toby Maguire's in this movie. yeah he comes out of nowhere and he's this like mobster uh, and Diego Calva as Manny ends up delivering unbeknownst to him like fake money and so they take him into this dungeon in like the core of LA the, the seedy underbelly of 20s LA into like a, a, a lynchian nightmare and they emerge from it barely getting away with their lives and then even then you know there's a lot of things that happen but there's that there's also my favorite part of the film which is the tragic and it really makes me sad thinking about it it's like 
the the suicide of Jack Conrad. And oh, yeah. there's this beautiful tracking shot. He has this conversation with Lady Faye, and then he walks upstairs in his hotel after like saying goodbye to his new wife. And this is also after like one of his best friends kill, yeah. killed himself in the same way. So it kind of shadowed what was to come. Yeah. Um, and that was that was just especially expecting. I mean, like you could see a lot of these story beats coming, especially you know someone like Stephen who's always like anticipating the next move in a story. But when I saw it. The second I'm time, chess with the movies. Yeah, I like to just let things kind of wash over me as they happen. But seeing it a second time and knowing from the start where Jack's story ended, it was really, um, it was really just really sad for me. Mm. And then also, like you said, there's this insane ending where it jumps forward like 20 years, and yeah. Manny is revisiting his uh, old old days. Yeah, the old studio, which is now a modern studio in the 50s, and he's back with his wife and his kid. Yeah, they've updated. There's this amazing. He moved to New York and started a business. Yeah, he left the world of film behind him, but now he's like remembering it like a dream. And he and there's this great like sweeping shot when he's in the theater watching the movie of the crowd, and it's showing like more of a modern audience. And he falls asleep in one movie and wakes up in another. And the movie that he ends he wakes up to is like basically a retelling of his life. Uh, of like the transition from silent film into sound. Oh, yeah, it's, it's this. <laughs> it like, was like a fictional telling of this of his own life. Yeah, yeah. And so he's starting to get emotional, and then it does the, the fourth wall break the meta thing where it goes into the Evangelion breakdown of form, and it's like showing well, it's you. Same, it's the same thing he did in La La Land. But it's even crazier, right? Because he's like, I can't remember exactly, but I don't remember like just pure solid panels of like color. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does not do that. But then it sweeps through all the way into like Avatar and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. It's almost off-putting. It is, it is more like Evangelion than La La Land was, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then you're just left there. And it, during the whole thing, there's this insane crescendo with the score, which is also echoing La La Land's, you know, the whole intent is the same. Right. And then it, it just ends and you're there and there's like tears streaming down Manny's face. And I'm there just thinking, this is crazy. Yeah. Well, and it's also beautiful. Like it's, it is, yeah. It's so, cause ele- it, it's so elegant. Yeah, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Well, you, know? you hit it on the head earlier when you said it is something that is so much bigger than one person or one film or one time. And for someone like me or you, where film is this special, like this really special thing to us, it's, right? Um, no surprise to me that it would mean so much. Yeah, it means a lot. And there were a lot of movies that did you know, the love letter to, to cinema or to Hollywood in 2022. And even in years prior, like once upon a time in Hollywood was a similar thing, but it's like, this was cool. You know, this was really cool to see. It's just, it's a thrilling experience in a theater, especially. So I think it's a, I think it's a home run personally, you know, maybe not his best film, but really good. (laughs) Sure. I also agree on everything that you just said. And it's very special to me as well. I can't remember where I put it. I think it's in like my, you put it pretty high on your 10. It's like between my number five and number one spot for sure. Or six, something around there. But yeah, I, I loved this movie like, and it's because it pays homage to the thing that I love so much in the world, which is film and movies. So yeah. And movie going, you know, there's a difference between not just, movies you watch at home but like the 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 feeling of going to a theater and it being 
so much larger than life and, and, you know, meaning something to you on a deeper level, connecting with you on a deeper level. Yeah. Totally. Being in the theater, you know, and something really special about that, that I, I think people need to get back to. I think, I think it was James Cameron that actually said recently, people need to get back to the theater and I couldn't agree more with him. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rare point of agreement. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's easy to circle jerk stuff like that, you know, uh, but it is, it is true. There's something special about seeing it in a theater. So I think it's like a unique time, especially with, with people always being on their phones these days Yeah, where you put down your phone mm-hmm. and you focus on the thing in front of you Yeah, for two to three hours. You don't do that at any point throughout the rest of your day. And that's true. You're enveloped into you're immersed into a story, into this thing happening in front of you. And you don't even do that with the people you love in your lives. <laughs> yeah. You never sit down, put your phone and focus on the person in front of you for right. two to three hours. Nobody does that. Yeah. So being able to do it in a theater for a movie is an amazing gift. Like I said earlier, and a beautiful, wondrous, elegant thing. And right here at the end, we'll play part of the score from the amazing scorist. Yeah, banger track, I think I selected called Voodoo Mama, which is like the big horns coming in and the marching, like, you know, melody. I was thinking about the, the little tiny little score. Oh, you wanted the little one? That plays every time the love uh, comes in between Manny and That Roy. was just like La La Land Part 2, though. I know, it was awesome, though. It was, it was fun, but we got to do Voodoo Mama. Okay. <laughs> We can do the little one if no, you want. No, no, it's all good. Bom, 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 bom. All right, well, here's... Hoven and Depp. Here's, like, here's Gabe's uh, Hoven. I think it's... I don't know what it is. You're pro- it's got to be no, Joe. No, it's got to be... I just think because the Spanish for young man is Hoven. I know. <laughs> I know. I know it is. It's what do we call him? Uh, young man? We'll call him Mr. Depp. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually Googled this once. I Googled, like, how do you pronounce Hoven, Hoven. and Depp? And he, it's him saying it at like a, it doesn't matter. Anyway, here's the song. Here's Gabe's uh, Voodoo Mama. (laughs) 